Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together, for He is worthy and worthy to be praised. Do you believe that this morning? Well, believe it or not, it's true, right? (laughs) Some things don't hinge on our beliefs. Right? Believe it or not, some things don't hinge on whether we believe it or not. Right? And believe it or not, he is worthy of praise. And believe it or not, we are not. (laughs) The reality of Scripture teaches us that we need him. The reality of life teaches us that we need him. I don't have to use Scripture to justify the need of having a relationship with the Savior, i.e. being connected with him. We need that connection. So this whole year, the theme for the year is a year of connection. We literally we started off talking about connecting with our spouse using the Song of Solomon, connecting with our Savior using the I Am statements of John, connecting with the lost using the book of Jonah. And now last week, Chaplain Braswell introduced us to a new series on connection, uh, connecting to the community, us. So the idea of doing connecting with the lost or connecting with the sinner, I mean, we kind of went back and forth on that title, to be honest with you, we shared both. But connecting with the sinner or connecting with the community or connecting with the lost was because the idea of connecting with the lost is to bring them into our community, right? To expand the body of Christ, to do exactly what God has not asked us to do, but let's be real, commanded us to do, to go ye therefore into all the land, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we moved on to the series using the book of Nehemiah because, quite frankly, I think the center theme in Nehemiah is community. But it's not just any community. It's a Christ-centered community because there's a lot of communities that you can be a part of. Some of them not so good communities, right? Some of them some great communities, but there's a difference. I'll give you an idea of many good communities that the military pushes us to be a part of, the MWR programs. MWR is good. There's nothing wrong with it. They're searching for volunteers. It's a great thing to support MWR, the boss program, better opportunities for single soldiers. There's a community there. That's a good community, and there's nothing wrong with it. I hope that you're connected to the community for your FRGs for your soldiers and family readiness groups. That's a good community that brings together, in my case, the rattlesnakes, in your case, whatever squadron, battalion, brigade, whatever you're a part of, right? Those are good communities, but there's something that each of those communities are missing, and this is the fact that they are not Christ-centered communities. I'm not saying there's anything against them. Matter of fact, I wholeheartedly support those things in many ways, shapes, and forms, but this community right here, This body of believers, these my brothers and sisters in Christ, this Christ-centered community should be the foundation of everything that we do. This is where we get our encouragement, and that's why this community is so important. The reason that suicide rates are up, that divorce rates are astronomically through the roof, the reason that depression is so bad, and all these things uh, recently, the excuse that we hinge all these issues to are COVID. Because the, we were isolated for so long, so therefore depression has gone up. And us chaplains tried to tell leadership that for years. And we're like, yeah, chaplain, not much we can do about it. Okay, well, there's a few things we can do about it, right? But the reality is, is all these connections, we're blaming COVID. We're blaming other things. We blame a busy lifestyle, but we need this community to do better in everywhere, shape, or form of our lives. 
Being a part of this community, I pray, makes me a better soldier. Being part of community makes me a better chaplain. There's chaplains that aren't part of a Christ-centered community within this uh, organization. Believe it or not, I know many chaplains that aren't active in a local military community of their chapel services, and that blows my mind, really, to be honest with you. But that's another story for another day. We have many of my godly commanders, and here, here's where it hits me on the head. Here's where it hurts me on the importance of Christ-centered community. I know some of my most godly leaders, godly men and women of God, people of the church, people of community, they're smarter than I'll ever be. They're more godly than some of their chaplains, and probably this chaplain included. And you're like, we need leaders like that. I'm talking about 06s, 07s, 08s. E9s, our command sergeant major, that are your godly people that go off post to other communities, other Christ-centered communities. Not Nothing wrong with that because if they're part of a Christ-centered community, I encourage that, right? I'm not in competition with any local church or body of believers. I have a competitor, but his name is Lucifer the Devil, pick a name, whatever it may be. But it does make me wonder how good we are doing at community when many of my brothers and sisters in Christ, when many of my leaders are saying that this community at chapel services on military installations aren't doing enough for me and my family, therefore we go to this off community. That bothers me. As a chaplain that is fully invested in this community, as a chaplain that pours my life into this community, like Matt, like Dan, like Chaplain Ellis, like our chapels here, chaplains here this service, it bothers me that many of our leaders and soldiers feel that they can't get their community here. Which tells me this. Are you all ready for the toe stomp? We're not doing our job adequately. There are things that we could be doing better. Okay? We need to understand that. There are things that we need to be doing better. So behind you on the slide is the idea of what we're going through the next several sermon series through Nehemiah. Today we're going to talk about a powerful prayer. Next week, a vision for the community. Um, everything down to the, the committed com, uh, community commitment, being committed to this community and what that looks like. The enemy always gets a vote. We're using these battle-related terms because I need you to understand there is a war that is raging just like in the book of Nehemiah. They come to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, Nehemiah, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king, so he's standing by the king. The king gets the news of the fact that Nehemiah's hometown, his city walls, they're destroyed. The people are exposed, and literally they're dying. And Nehemiah, maybe he's holding, literally holding the cup of the king, because, you know, that's what good leaders have, right? The kings just need somebody to hold his cup. I'm going to have Sonny or the kids start doing that next to me as I'm watching football. Hold my cup. Um, yeah, we'll see how well that works. But anyways, so the king, Nehemiah's right there next to the king, and he's hearing about how his hometown is destroyed. And he's broken. He's like, this is my hometown. What can I do? It's got to go through his mind. What can I do? I'm just a cupbearer to the king. I'm not the king himself. But we're going to see how Nehemiah uses his position to address the king. But he was able to address the king not because he was cupbearer, because he was next to the king as a cupbearer. God placed him there. He had the ear of the king. And because Nehemiah had used that properly and adequately, knew his position, he was a man of integrity, a man of wisdom, just a good person, the king naturally talks to his cupbearer every now and then. And Nehemiah used that to his advantage. We'll see that. But before Nehemiah does anything, we see his prayer. And it's awesome. So starting in verse 3 of Nehemiah chapter 1, they come to Nehemiah, they come to the king, they said in verse 3, it says, The remnant there is in the providence who has survived the exile in a great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Can you imagine Nehemiah's heart as he's got friends and family there? 
As soon as I heard these words, I sat down, says Nehemiah, and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said in verse 5, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants or your slaves in the original Hebrew text that I hear and pray for the, your servants, that I now pray before you day and night for the people of your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, not they, because Nehemiah could have said they because he's not with them. Right? He's, he's elsewhere. He says, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, in verse 11 of chapter 1, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. I love that phrase. They delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Notice that before Nehemiah does anything, he hears the news, he probably puckers up and tenses up a little bit like we do when we hear bad news. Imagine you hear that something's going wrong with your family. We've all had some bad news from the family. Moms and dads are six, friends, family back home, especially being on an island in the middle of the Pacific. Like everybody's like, let's go to Hawaii. Hawaii's great. It's the best assignment in the world. It's a really cool island in the middle of the Pacific. Yeah, it's still an island in the middle of the Pacific, and my family's back yonder, right? And where things go wrong back home, you just want to jump up and go. But before Nehemiah does anything, he prays. And I want to get into, actually, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. It says, in the month of Nisan. We're not talking about cars here. We're talking about Hebrew months. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the month of uh, Chislev. We're talking about a period of about three months before Nehemiah steps off to go into action. So for three months, Nehemiah is praying and fasting. Three to four months. Before he does anything, he is getting his thoughts and his connection with God right before he goes anywhere else. Today's message is about a powerful prayer before the battle even begins. I don't know about you, before I deployed to Iraq, Afghanistan, UAE, Jordan, pick a place, whatever. Before I deployed in these 20 years of service, anytime, as soon as I hear it, I hit my knees in prayer. And that was well before I was a chaplain. In 2003, when we got news that we were going in 04, I was going to be married to Sonny. We were engaged. We were, you know, looking forward to that. We were in college, kind of that phase in our life. I had enlisted because I needed a rich uncle to pay for my college because I wasn't smart enough for an academic scholarship, still aren't, and not good enough for a basketball scholarship, still ain't, right? So I needed to find a rich uncle. Sam seemed like a good one. I get this news of war, and I just hit my knees in prayer. Father, this is not going to be what I expect it to be, and I don't even know what I expect it to be. Father, help me be what I need to be for your servant. I'm not a chaplain at the time. I'm just a servant of God, whatever you need. And I believe that God used me there because we started off in prayer. Not only did I pray, I called everybody else to pray. Well, that's because you were scared for your life. That's your sweet bippy. That's what guns do. 
But IEDs do. That's what mortars do. I was a little concerned, so I went to my father to calm my spirit. Nehemiah does just that. A Christ-centered community. How to fight for the faith. Christ-centered community. We're using these battle terms because there is a battle that is raging. A Christ-centered community. A fight for the faith. The devil's fighting for his community. And he wants you to be a part of it. The world is fighting for their community. They want you to be a part of it. A lot of activist groups are fighting for people to be a part of it. Come join our cause. I'm not pushing one or the other. But every side, left, right, liberal, conservative, pick a term, whatever. Everybody's saying, come join our cause. Join our community. Fight the good fight. Let's start with joining a Christ-centered community. Because whatever their cause in the world around them, whatever their cause is, I don't care. I'm, I'm a supporter of the Second Amendment, big time. Go surprise, right? I'm in the Army, right? Surprise, I support the Second Amendment. And people are like, come join our cause. Give me your money. Give me your time. Give me your effort. Give me your words. I'm committed to a community. And, and I will speak what I support, but my primary commitment is that to Jesus Christ and to this community, to you. And I pray that through today we should see that. If we are to have a powerful community, if you'll notice in the back of your bulletins, we're kind of making an acrostic with the term power. Because that prayer from Nehemiah, pretty stinking powerful. The power of prayer. The power of prayer, we see several passages of Scripture. There's a few on the screen just behind you for the whole power. Psalm 48, verses, uh, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him in truth. Call on Him, right? Colossians 4.2 Devote yourselves to prayer. That's a command, not an option, by the way. Being watchful and thankful. 1 Timothy 2.8 I want men everywhere to pray. I want men and women everywhere in my congregation to pray. I don't want prayers radiating just from this chapel on Sunday mornings. I want them radiating from your battalion as you do PT in the morning. I want them radiating from your brigade before you go to command and staff. I want them radiating from your heart as your child or your teenager does something stupid and it makes you think I'm going to kill them. Right? I want your prayers radiating from everywhere, from your home, from your work, from your school, everywhere to pray. And the marks of a powerful prayer are this. First, it must be passionate. Notice these words in Nehemiah as he goes in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. He cried. He's dear. He's very passionate about what needs to be done. He's very passionate. I got a question. Who or what breaks your heart? What are you passionate about? Get involved with your community. We need volunteers. We need people to tell us things that we need to do that God's laying on your heart that He hasn't laid on us chaplains. Some of the best ideas for ministry didn't start from a unit ministry team. Some of the best ideas for ministry start from people in the pulpit and said, here's where you're failing. And they usually don't word it that way. They usually word it much nicer. It says, God has laid on my heart. And my response is, awesome. Your heart, your mission. Yeah, I'm here to help. I'm here to support. But if God's laying it on your heart, I need you to help support it. Because a lot of times people will come up to Dan and say, hey, Dan, God's laid on my heart that the chaplains need to do this. <laughs> Look, I had a girl in high school, I kid you not, she told me, she says, God told us we were to be together. I was already dating a young lady who I thought was infinitely more pretty than she was. I was a high school kid. I was a little shallow, not going to lie, okay? But I, I, I didn't know what to say. A girl tells you this is God's will for you to be together, and I wasn't hearing anything, and my buddy James is right next to me, and he's looking at me like, yeah, have fun with that one, Slick. 
And I just, without hesitation, says, well, God hasn't told me yet until he confirms it through vision for me. I'm going to stick with this young lady. And I just kind of walked away. I got a question. What are you passionate about? What is God saying to you to do for your community? Don't expect me to buy in for the prayers that God has laid on your heart. Now, I'm not saying that we're not going to help you as chaplains. I need to make that abundantly clear because we're ultimately very passionate about pretty much the same things you are, I hope. Okay? Be passionate. Nehemiah wept and he mourned for days, even months, because we see between chapter 1 and 4, a period of three to four months takes place. He continued fasting for that period of time. Continued fasting. Maybe it was a daily fast. Maybe it was a full day fast here, half day fast, evening fast, no food during the day. Very popular in that culture to do no a fast from sunup to sundown. But either way, he was focused on the spirit. Nehemiah was broken for his people. What breaks your heart? Because that's where your passion is going to be, and that's what's going to drive you to your community. That's what's going to drive you to your cause of rioting. That's what's going to drive you to your cause of picketing in the streets. That's going to drive you to the cause of joining this political activist group or that political activist group. Or that's what's going to rival you to be part of the church of a Christ-centered community. Not only do you need to be passionate, we need to understand that our prayers are going up to an omnipotent God. Now, that's one of those deep theological words that half the time we use and don't even know what it means. Omni being all, impotent meaning power. All-powerful. When God created the universe, He created it ex nihilo, as the Hebrew term is. He created it out of nothing. Our God is able to do all this. When we ask what breaks your heart, that defines your passion. Who or what is your heart aligned to? Because when we read in prayer, we need to understand that we're talking to a God who is able to provide all this and more, as Scripture says. And I got news for you. Your omnipotent God isn't so much concerned with a six-year-old type of prayer. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't hear those prayers, but hear me out. Christmas coming up in about you know several months, but let's say that it's a month out and the child starts praying, Holy God, I want Santa Claus to bring me the new bike. Right? Holy God, I need God to bring me the new dollhouse. Holy God, I need God to give me this promotion. That's not a six-year-old prayer. That's an adult prayer. That's aligned to a six-year-old's heart. I want what I want, what I want, and I want what I want right now. God, I want you to give me what I want, says a child. But when I was a child, I thought like a child, and I acted like a child, and God hears those prayers of the kid, and he just kind of laughs with joy. The child, the heart of a child. He loves it, and he says, come unto me, the little children. But I think he expects a little bit more out of us because he says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I act like a child. But when I became a man, I did what? I put away childish things. I need to understand that the omnipotent God that I'm praying to, it's not about me trying to align, reach out and force his hand to do something that I want him to. God, I want you to do this. We're not trying to align God's hand to our will. We need to align our hearts with God. Who or what? Is your heart aligned to? Because when we align our hearts with God, we have the right vector, we have the right trajectory. When we align our hearts with God, then it's easy for God to grant us our will. First, align your hearts with God, and that's exactly what Nehemiah does. 
in verses in verse five, he says, "O Lord, our God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps the covenant steadfast love with who with those who love Him and keep His commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open." to hear the prayer of your servant. So he is asking for his prayer that I now pray before you night and day, the people of Israel, your servants. And he says, confessing the sins of his people. He is trying to not only align his hearts with God because he knows that God is all powerful, this great and awesome God, or as the New Testament says, with God all things are possible. He is also washing his spirit. And if we are going to have a powerful prayer, it needs to be passionate. We need to understand we're talking to an omnipotent, all-powerful God. And we need to wash our spirit. We need to cleanse our hearts. We need to understand that Nehemiah was all in. I'm not changing God or trying to change God as if you could. I want God to change me. God understands Nehemiah understands that some of the issues or the, the reason Israel is going through what Israel said is because Israel wasn't being what they were supposed to be. They had to, find, they had to go find Ezra. They had to go find the priests. They found the Word of God in the rubble. And later on, we'll see in Nehemiah, where they found the Scriptures and said, Oh, let's read this. Kind of like many of us find our Scriptures underneath the car seat on Sunday morning. Where's my Bible? There it is. Let's go to church. We get done with church. We put it back under the car seat. It'll be there next Sunday when I'm eating it. I'm not, some of you may do that. And you have a, That way you always have a Bible with you and use your home Bible. That's a different story. But you see where I'm going with that, right? It's not something we pick up on Sunday morning and Sunday morning only. In order to have a washed spirit, Nehemiah confesses not only his sins, but the sins of his people that aren't really his. But Nehemiah says, they are my sins because these are my people. Your sins are my sins. Your failures are the chaplain's failures. If we need to connect with the community because we're already connecting with each other, we need to understand that your failures are my failures. Your weaknesses are my weaknesses. I need you. I need this community. There is power in numbers. There's a reason Scripture says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. I need God the Father. I need me. And we need you. Three strands woven together and we can make a or we can braid a rope that we can hang on. We can do that for our safety. This washed spirit, James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. We like to say that we're connected with God. Only God can forgive sins. Yes, connect, confessing to God. He is our mediator. We're not Catholic. You don't need to come to me to confess your sins. I'm not saying that. I'm not the mediator between you and God the Father. Jesus Christ took care of that. Okay? But it is good to confess your sins to one another because we can hold each other accountable. Dan knows some of my weaknesses. I know some of his. We know some of Matt's weaknesses. Matt knows some of ours. And we are sharpening each other. We are making each other better. We're not comfortable all the time. It's not easy when somebody calls me out. But I need you. One of the things that baffles me most is what my brother read earlier from Psalms 51. Y'all know David, he's remembered as a man after God's own heart. And this man after God's own heart, how has he remembered that? He was an adulteress. Depending on how you interpret the scripture, he could have been a he could have raped Bathsheba. Personally, I'm kind of along that faith. I think it's in the infinitive, in the imperative, where he says he took a Bathsheba. That's in the strong sense. And the king did this, but at best an adulterer, at worst a rapist. He's a war deserter because he should have been on the front line with his people in the front place. He tried to kill Bathsheba's husband. It didn't work the way that he he tried to. Sorry, he tried to trick Bathsheba's husband into thinking it was his by bringing him home to the front line. And then he brings this commander home and says, because the commander was a man of integrity, slept on the front porch, and everybody knew it. 
So then David says, well, that's fine. We'll just take care of him. Congratulations. You're in the infantry now. Put this commander on the front line. He sends the commander, sends Bathsheba's husband back to the front line with a letter to give to his commander. And the commander opens the letter and says, give this guy that just came back with his death note and put him on the front line. And we know what happens to front line guys back then. They die. David killed the man. And this guy's remembered after man, after God's own heart. How does that happen? How is this guy an example of righteousness and integrity? How is this guy an example of what everybody is, a hero of the faith? And it's because of Psalm 51. He says, have in Psalm 51, and you can turn there or not, but mark it, it's a, it's a powerful prayer too. It's prayers, David's prayer of repentance with Bathsheba. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before you. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight. He goes on later to say, may the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. David says, I'm broken over the sin that I've committed with Bathsheba. I need you to know he's remembered after man after God's own heart because he confessed his sins before God, because he washed his spirit. And God does the same thing for you. I don't care what sin you've committed. I don't care how many of the sins you've committed. I don't care about the, the, the magnitude of the sin or the multitude. It matters not. God died for them all. Confession leads to power. Wash your spirit before an almighty God. Not only should it be a washed spirit, it needs to be an enduring faith. This is the long run. How committed is your heart? Serving God and gathering, gathering the community together is not a daily thing and then it just changes. It changes over time. It develops. And here's why I need you, IPCS, in about less than six months. This community for me, although it will still be in my heart, this community has a place for me. I will be leading a different community elsewhere. Dan will be here, but Dan will PCS. I think after me is Matt is going to PCS shortly after us. He's got about a year left. Chaplain Ellis, about the same, maybe a year and a half. Dan, I don't know. They're just going to retire you here and just move you around. I don't know. But either way, we are all going to eventually. Dan says, nope. <laughs> but we are changing in this community. And as chaplains come and chaplains go, this community will stand. As you PCS and you go, Somebody's going to come in and I need you to help connect them with this community because you're going to eventually PCS. That's why we always push for volunteers. You're coming and going. But the community will stand. It is an enduring faith. Community is about the long game. If you return to me, he says in Nehemiah. He says they're going to be scattered because you chose to do your own way. But if you return to me, I will strengthen you. I will give you what you need, he says in these verses. We are sheep and sheep wander off. But you better know how to shoot a back asthma. You better know how to get way back home. When Scripture gives you promises like train up a child in the way that they should go and they will not depart from it. I love that promise. I need that because sometimes I wonder with Luke. <laughs> oh, he's going to give somebody trouble. Glory to God in the highest. In about 10 to 15 years, he's going to be some woman's trouble, not mine. It'll be great. But I look at this child and sometimes he wanders off of it. But I know the promise of God he can shoot a back azimuth and return to God. If you're off path with God right now, understand it's about the long game. You can always realign your heart with God. You can always check back in. Faithfulness matters. Psalm 136 reminds us that His love endures forever. His love, it says it like 20 times in the psalm. His love endures forever. 
Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. It is without end. And our love for Him and our commitment to the community should equal His love and His commitment to us. His love is sacrifice for your soul. We should sacrifice for the souls of believers. Sacrifice a little bit of our time. Sacrifice our energy and our thought for the glory of God because our love for Him should be ever enduring just as His is for us. And finally, not only do we need to have a passionate heart, an omnipotent God that we're speaking to, a washed spirit, an enduring faith, it needs to be revolved around a real walk. It's a very simple thing that Nehemiah ends this prayer with when he writes this. He prays, he ends the prayer, and then he says, and I was a cupbearer to the king. What does that matter? I was talking with a, a guy from uh, Deer Park, a, a friend from back home, and he reached out to me via messenger, talked about he might feel a calling on his heart, and it may be a calling into the ministry. And he's talking about the passion that he has and what God has done for him and his calling and what he's doing in school, and his heart might be being aligned in a different direction. I says, first and foremost, those are all things God could be using to call you into the ministry. So yes, you need to pay attention to those, pray with your wife and all these good things about it. But the other thing you need to understand is God can need you and can use you where you're at. One of the things I says, you're so passionate, and this is him. He's passionate because he was talking to some friends at work about his faith and led a couple of them to Christ. He says, God could have placed you there for that reason, and he may need you there in the future. You don't have to wear a cross on your forehead and, and chest or, or, or uh, chest to be a chaplain or to be a minister. You don't have to be a chaplain to be a minister of the gospel. I need you where you are. I need commanders. I need sergeants. I need privates. I need people to stand up in their faith. I need homemakers. I need mothers that are working elsewhere. I need mothers that are trying to keep their children straight. I need you. I don't care if you're a chaplain, a commander, a homemaker, a student, a sergeant, or a cupbearer to the king. It doesn't matter. God has placed you where you are. Start your fight from there. Notice that Nehemiah starts where he's a cupbearer to the king. Over the next few months when he was fasting in prayer, he was still a cupbearer to the king. He didn't give that up. Malachi... Chapter 2, verse 6 is one of my favorite verses of Scripture. To just give you a little backstory, he ultimately calls his priest a bunch of poop-faced preachers. I'm, I'm cleaning that up. God is so frustrated. You can read there. talks about he wants to spread dung on their faces, the dung of their sacrifices. You know what dung is, right? Figure it out. Google it. So God is so mad that they're bringing these sacrifices. They're doing the right things. They're going to chapel on Sunday mornings. They're reading their scripture. They're talking, to, they're teaching their children about God maybe a little bit. But they're not really walking the wall. They're talking the talk. They're going through the motions, but their heart isn't in it. Is your heart even beating is what I'm asking. Because Malachi, when he points this out, he says... I need you to be not like one of these guys where God is so frustrated that He wants to rub refuse in your face or put your face in the refuse. He's, I don't want you to be like these pastors. I want you to be like Levi. And He uses the example of Levi and He says, true instructions was found on His mouth. No wrong was found on His lip. And He walked with God in peace. And ultimately He turned in many away from iniquity. That's the kind of people we need. We're not going to turn people away if we're not growing as a community and taking it to the world. We're not going to show the world a path away from iniquity and other alignments if we're not dedicated to Him. And He needs us. Christ-centered communities are what we are and what we need. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. This one came to me this morning as I was praying, so I had to add it last minute. Because I'm calf, and it is what it is. Consider how we may spur 
one another. Forsake, now you see the calf thing, sorry. If you ain't calf, I won't say the rest. Forsake not the assembling together, Scripture says, as some are in the habit of doing. He says, consider how we may spur one another. Now, Cab does spur rides. For me, it was about 30 miles through East Range trying to get blisters on the bottom of my feet side of softball. It's not about how smart you are and how, how much integrity you have or how knowledgeable you are of things. It's how stupid, I mean, strong you are. It's about how much you want to endure the pain and suffering and just get to the end. But the idea of a spur rod is I needed my team. I needed my battle buddies to push me around. I needed that 20-year-old guy who says, Hey, chaplain, you're weak. Pick it up. Quit acting like a 40-year-old man. Shut up, I am. Chaplain, am I going to have to drag you? you got a sked code. Do what you got to do, man. Put me on it. I'll train you. Whatever it takes. They weren't leaving me, and I wasn't leaving them. They spurred me along. I spurred them along. I kicked them a little bit. Says, now you look tired. I had the endurance. They had the fast game up front. Chaplain, you're slowing down. Man, I know this is 30 miles. I ain't in a hurry to get nowhere. We're going in circles on each train. Who are you kidding? Man, I'm not in a hurry. This is a long game for me. Y'all slow down. And by the end, I'm like, get up, slick. Chaplain, you got endurance? Yeah, because I wasn't in a hurry at first. I prayed for a couple months. Those first 10 miles, I was praying the whole time, just taking my time. You see what I'm saying, though? They spurred me along. I spurred them along. You spur me along. I'll spur you along. I'll kick you a little bit like riding a horse. Don't neglect the assembling together as some is in the habit of doing. What are your habits? Are your habits morning devotions? Are your habits evening devotions? Are your habits reading through your kids? Are your habits, if we're preaching through Nehemiah for the next couple months, to read Nehemiah every week? It's not that bad. It's 13 chapters? 13, 14? 13, I think. Can we, can we do that? Is that a commitment that we can spur one another along? Look at the first miracle that Jesus did. It was about the community. He turned water into wine. No, it's not about the wine, you alcoholics. It's about saving the community. It's about connecting the community together. It's about the couple that was embarrassed. No, 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 no. I don't want to embarrass them among their community. It was about them. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, it wasn't about raising Lazarus. He raised Lazarus from the dead because everybody else was weeping. Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He knew he was omnipotent. He knew he could and would do it. So why is Jesus weeping? He was weeping because his community was weeping. What breaks your heart breaks mine. I can't tell you the number of times us chaplains have talked about some issues that y'all have brought our way. Me and, uh, we'll get together and we have shed tears over you with our spouses, with each other. And says, Father, they're broken right now. They're challenging. And all I know to do is pray. But Father, that's what I'm going to do. Get them through. What breaks your heart breaks mine. But I'm praying that what breaks my heart will break yours because I'm broken for the rest of this community and Schofield community that needs you so very bad. One body many members, and we all need you. Holy God, our Father, thank you for who you are. May the words of our mouth and meditations of our heart be acceptable to you. Father, as we come forward to observe communion, this communion is about community. Father, you did this among your closest friends. You, you brought them together, and when you brought them together, you broke bread, you, you gave them the cup, and you said, this is my body and blood. It was about igniting a passion that would change the world forever. Father, I pray that you will do just that. I pray that you will ignite with us a passion that can change the world. Father, as we observe these elements, Father, I pray that everything we do will bring honor and glory to you. Father, I pray that these elements 
as we observe communion, as we share the cup and we share the body of Christ, that we're adamantly aware of what you did for us and what you're calling us to do for your people and your community and the lost. Father, I ask all these things and know the name, for the name of my Savior, Jesus the Christ. All God's children said,